0: Welcome to Nonprofit Innovators, brought to you by Good United. This podcast celebrates new and innovative nonprofit successes, the faces behind them, and elevates those winning ideas so that we can learn more from them. Regardless of your role or the size of your nonprofit, we believe you'll find something valuable in this podcast. To learn more about this topic, visit us at goodunited.io. Enjoy the episode.
1: Today, I'm super excited about our conversation. We're going to talk about something that I think is really important to everyone that's listening in today uh, leveling up your nonprofit through the talent that you attract and retain. And I know with all the talk about the great resignation and the changes that we've all seen happening, this is really an important topic to all of the our nonprofit listeners. And I think you can verify if you agree with this, Gary, but I think aside from a nonprofit's mission, the talent that they attract and retain is probably the most crucial element to the success of your nonprofit. Do you agree with that?
2: I do. Yeah. I think you have your kind of your mission and your and the problem you're trying to solve. And then, and then, then you need the people to actually uh, make it happen.
1: That's right. And this makes me think uh, back through my years of leadership, all my good hires and my bad hires. And I think all of us always go back to those bad hires like, oh my gosh, what did I see in them? How did I let that happen? Um, So we all have to admit we have bad hires, but I think we should really focus on the good hires. Uh, what made them great, you know, how we found them and what did we see in them that we knew they would be such uh, positive contributors to our organization. So I think everyone has those stories in the back of their mind, but I'm excited to talk to you, Gary, because I know from your work at Instrumental, which you will tell us about in a second, um, you can share what you've learned from the 2000 nonprofits that you're currently working with. And I think you have seen which ones are succeeding in fundraising and probably have some observations about what makes them different in the way they manage their people and their staff. So we're going to dig deep. What's it take to identify, to find, to nurture, to train the workforce that's really going to help nonprofits, you know, embrace the future of fundraising? Uh, we, We all have to admit the world has changed in the ways that individuals engage and support the causes they really care and love. And so do we have the right people in place to embrace that in our nonprofits? So that's kind of the premise. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, but we can, can, can we start, Gari? If you can tell us a little bit about yourself, your, you know, your career path. Tell us about instrumental, and sure. maybe share with us, you know, what your what your current take is on the nonprofits that you're working with today.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I come uh, from a different background than, than my two other co-founders who started Instrumental with me. Um, They really came from the domain. They had worked at nonprofits in the past. They had also worked at funders giving out grants in the past. Um, But I joined them from a different perspective. I joined them from like more of a product and tech lens. I studied Mm -hmm. computer science in college, started my first company, like software company out of school. And Um, that company was acquired by Airbnb. So I moved out West, worked at Airbnb for a couple of years, um, at a period that was very exciting. They're rapidly scaling. They do a lot of great things in terms of, um, kind of talent and culture. Um, so I got to learn a lot of kind of best practices there. And then, um, after a couple of years, I left to start instrumental with my two co-founders, Angela and Catherine. And we had a lot of, um, twists and turns, a lot of, um, Things that we tried before, we really found the kind of the model that we uh, realized was the one that was going to work to have us be a sustainable business. Uh, and in 2018, tw- beginning of 2019, um, that's when we started to really focus on what we're what, we, what the product offers today, which is an end to end solution for all things grants. So you can do your prospecting, your research, your tracking, your collaboration, reporting, all in one place. Uh, we overall just make the grants process much more enjoyable and and less stressful. Um, And from my perspective, it's been really rewarding to bring a lot of the kind of customer and product obsession that I saw in places like Airbnb and like the kind of for-profit tech world to the nonprofit tech world. um, And, and, you know, hopefully provide uh, easy to use, compelling solutions to just make their lives easier. Yeah.
1: That's interesting because we've had different career paths. So I went from nonprofit to a technology company, you went from technology to a nonprofit, which is really intriguing to me. So why did you even think about taking your skills, your experience? How did you think about why did you think about applying that to the nonprofit space?
2: It was really because I got connected initially to Angela and Kat. Um, they they um, came from the space. They had identified a problem uh, that they felt had like a pain point that they had felt themselves. Um, and I knew Angela personally. She was my girlfriend then. She's now my wife. And so I had this uh, natural incentive in the beginning to kind of help out um, since it was their first time doing a tech company. And the more and more that I helped them, the more that I realized that this was a really great uh, place for me to apply kind of my skills and and learnings um, just because I felt like the um, the grant space in particular in the nonprofit tech landscape was like particularly, I felt like underserved um, just based on like the other kind of tools and, and solutions that I saw out there.
1: That's really interesting. I mean, because we know technology is, you know, it's just such a critical part of building, you know, nonprofit sustainability, be more efficient. Um, you know, and I'm sure nonprofits come to you at all varying levels of where they're at in the technology adoption stage. Do you see? Uh, do you still? Do you see a broad variance still, or do you see most nonprofits are really embracing technology? What do you think?
2: I I would say it's uh it's still pretty broad but it has changed over the years because we've been doing this now for a few years and I feel like when we were just getting started uh, the idea of like tracking your grants especially on like a digital platform was like a little bit less uh, familiar. We had like more people that we would talk to that were like my grant calendar like look behind me this is where it is like phys- in physical space or like on my <laughs> desk on like my whiteboard. And um and now I feel like that's less common where people are like more like so like they're using spreadsheets at le- at the very least like on their computer and, and they're more um, excited about kind of using a, a tool. But there's still there's still tons of people that I think are um, haven't gotten there yet. But I just see like I, I do see that trend moving in that direction.
1: Do you see um, so obviously grants, you know, as part of their fundraising portfolio. So I'm sure whatever they're doing in the grant side of the house is not necessarily that dramatically different from the rest of their fundraising. Do you see um, different types of challenges based on where they're at in this adoption of technology or thinking, um, you know, towards the future of fundraising? Do you see different challenges or are they still the same type of challenges?
2: I would say that, you know, I think overall it's like, the challenges are probably pretty similar. Um, You know, I think some, for some people it's, um, just an individual comfort with technology. Um, you might've been in the nonprofit space for a long time, not not having used a ton of it. And now all of a sudden there's like a ton of different tools for you to use and different people have different varying levels of, um, excitement and comfort, like of, of how much they want to, um, how much they want to kind of move in that direction. Um, and then I think there's also, um, just from like an organizational standpoint, just like a different different levels of emphasis on like how much that's important to the organization, how much they're like thinking about retaining institutional knowledge, how much they like see that like long-term perspective versus how much they're just like into like kind of more of a short-term approach to how they want to spend their dollars.
1: Right. Is it a, a quick fix for today or are they building, right. you know, a sustainable future? Well, you said, one thing you said was really interesting. It depends on the individual. So Have you seen um, from the companies that you work with or nonprofits you're familiar with um, more effort put on bringing existing staff, you know, pulling them (laughs) into the now and the future? Or do you see them leaving and then having the opportunity to find new staff that you can hire to that skill set? What do you see more of?
2: Yeah, I see. I think my perspective, right, because I'm kind of, look, I'm not in the organizations, right? I'm I'm getting like kind of this window through like, kind of introduction calls and um, kind of customer success type of calls. Um, we see more of the perspective of like, okay, the, the the organization is like trying to invest in training people, training their staff on like using new technology, trying to work smarter, not harder. Um, so it certainly could be uh, the, the kind of the latter, but from my perspective, it seems more like the former.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's something there. Um, I. I came from a large nonprofit and we work with nonprofits of all sizes. And I do think there's incredible talent uh, of dedicated people that have been with organizations for years or been in the nonprofit field for years. So you don't want to just instantly get rid of that expertise and that, you know, the rich experience they have. Um, but you do have to make sure that they're embracing, you know, the new systems or the new technology that is necessary to take your fundraising forward. Um, what do you think, have you seen any really successful training programs? Is it just making them do it, like get in there and do it, or do you think you need something a little bit more formal to really make people feel comfortable, um, you know, with the, the technology or the systems that a nonprofit has?
2: I think it, it's really about like connecting their role and responsibilities to like the needs of the organization, uh like foremost, right? Like that's why everyone's working in the nonprofit space. It's really about making that impact. Um and I think great leaders really can tie their like individual um individual folks at the organization to that um and and, and make that kind of compelling story. I, there are certainly a lot of training programs out there. I think also every software vendor um that sells into this space is like is familiar with the idea of needing to like build Training into the way that they offer their services. So, for example, like one thing that we do is we offer a onboarding call for every single every single person. And instead of it being a demo where we're showing you instrumental, we actually have you share your screen with us and you walk through the platform. You click on all the things and get familiar with the tool. So very quickly, like you're able to like retain how to use a new tool. Mm-hmm. And I think I would hope that. Um, other technology companies are also similarly trying to figure out like, what are the best ways for people to really like learn a new software? Um, and I think, I guess the good thing is that they're there, but they should be motivated to try to figure that out.
1: Yeah, I think there's a level of motivation is one, but I do think that um, we all, all of us who have been around for a while have to have a little humility um, and, you know, put ourselves through those trainings for technology. If you're not familiar with a particular system or, um, you know, a social media platform or something, really immerse yourself in it. So you fully understand it. We can't just assume that we're rolling out a new system. Everybody needs to learn it. You know, yeah. there, there has to be a deeper, and I think everyone has to admit, you know, where they're truly at and then their adoption of it or understanding of it and immerse themselves in it to become experts. That's Yeah. To me, that's how you remain relevant in your role, re- relevant in your, you know, career path.
2: Um, so
1: trying to stay ahead of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we talk about, you know, obviously helping our existing staff really embrace and understand, you know, the technology that you're building towards. What are your thoughts on um, building a workforce that is really looking to the future of fundraising? Where would you start if you were going to build a a workforce? That's going to take you to the future.
2: Yeah, I th- there's two things that come to mind here. One is um, kind of on topic with what we're talking about, just familiarity with technology um, comfort uh, with that. So um, like utilizing things that are have like newly kind of been available over the past um, decade and and kind of building a fundraising strategy that is almost like native to the technology that exists now. Um, So for example, like personalization at scale, like that should just be like a de facto thing that, you know, many fundraisers are thinking about. Um, How do you automate work? That's not like the core focus of what your organization offers. It's not going to be like kind of core differentiator for how you're going to solve the problem that you're setting out to solve. Um, You don't need to reinvent the wheel there. Um, How can you kind of automate a lot of that? Um, And then, um, you know, the other thing that I think about is like, coming from a different perspective, um, on the for-profit side, if there've been a, a lot of advancements in like kind of, and sales methodologies I'm Sure, the same is on, sure on the fundraising side, just like different fundraising strategies. Um, and, uh, you know, if I were thinking about the future, building a workforce force that's looking to the future, I'd want them to really be the like levers, um, those newest and greatest, uh, methodologies there. So for example, um, like on the sales side, like one thing that, that we do at instrumental that I, That we try to bring to the nonprofits that we speak with, speak to is like try to have an understanding of your kind of like your revenue formula, right? Like, and you can kind of break down the way that you generate revenue in a for profit business or in a nonprofit organization into, you know, relatively simple formula. It could be something like new leads in your CRM times the conversion rate to give you a a donation times the amount times the frequency of giving, right? Or for grants, it could be like new applications submitted. Um, times your success rate, times the amount that you ask. And so if you like kind of break down your, um, your kind of revenue formula um, and then really break apart each lever um, and think about uh, which lever you have the most confidence in increasing um, and really being able to like focus on those and like concentrate your efforts. Um, so I would say, you know, just zooming out, um, it's having like a kind of a rigorous kind of like working backwards approach um, to, your, to your fundraising strategy.
1: That's good, and then h- finding a skill set that's going to help, in which to you know to seek out employees that are going to help you know really tap into the most opportunity that you have in your fundraising strategy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of a question uh, for you if you're yeah. if if I'd be curious to know how much how much success you see folks having when they move over from like sales on the for profit side into the nonprofit fundraising world.
1: Um, it's interesting. I mean, I've seen both, and I think. Um, I think when people do come over from the for-profit side to the nonprofit, they're doing it because they care, really care about the cause, which is great. We want, you know, obviously nonprofits want passionate people who care and understand what they are raising funds for, but um, there has to be um, an understanding that donors and supporters And even volunteers are different than just people that want to buy something or to sign up for something. You have to have more of an emotional connection. So you need people with uh, ability to to sell, but also have empathy and understanding uh, from the constituent side and also translating um, the value in a different way. So. We're not just going to sell you this because this car drives faster, but you have to sell a mission. So you really have to understand it, you know, the impact that a, an organization is making on the cause that you care about and be able to talk about that in a different way. You use all the sales techniques, but you do have to reframe it a little bit um, and it has a lot more meaning to it. it. It goes both ways. I also do see a lot of for uh, not-for-profit people that are, you know, going over to the sales side in the for-profit companies. And I think that is a relatively, um, natural transition too, because you've had to sell your mission all this time and now you can now sell a product or a service or whatever. So there's definitely a translation, but it's going to take some time to really understand, um, the product or the mission. It's, you know, a a little bit different. Yeah.
2: I like to say that, um, like, um, something that I, um, kind of, Bring up to, to organizations, uh, kind of regularly is is basically just like there are you know hundreds of billions of dollars going out in philanthropic dollars, and um, on the one hand it's like altruistic money. Um, you can kind of think about it as 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 people kind of giving it away. Um, yep. On the other hand, you could kind of look at it that you know people are spending dollars to solve problems uh, that they're not going to like solve themselves. It's like to have like you know particular outcomes that they'd like to see. Um and I found that that to be a helpful framing when thinking about like a you know sales or like fundraising strategy to like actually see the donor as somebody who's like almost trying to like pay to, to like see a certain problem solved.
1: Yeah, they're like investors. Right. You're investing exactly. in your mission. And so you have to give them every opportunity. You have to give anyone who you think might be interested in your in your um cause an opportunity to give. The number one reason people don't give is because they're not asked and what good united uh the way good united approaches it today is that there are lots of different places to find new people they're not some are completely online right on social media so how can Mm -hmm. we engage and talk to them on social media without forcing them off channel we say to engage in a different way when that's not what they're choosing right they spend their time in social media. So how do we keep them in channel and help drive them to repeat action in the simplest way possible and talking to them where they spend their time. So there's a lot of nuances to finding and tapping into, and that's why I think you need different people. Um, Like you said, depending on what your revenue strategy is or what you're focusing on, who is the expert or who is the most successful in that particular strategy. And that's who you hire to, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, one of the um, one of the things that we talked, to, you and I visited before, and um, you had talked a lot about the difference between uh, folks who have a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. Talk a little bit about that. What I really was intrigued by that because I think it applies not only to organizations as a whole but individuals as well. But talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I um I do like to caveat this conversation by saying that um like. I think there's a, there's a broader conversation about scarcity mindset in the nonprofit world. And, and it's definitely not, I'm not saying that this is like a, something that's like all in the nonprofit. I feel yeah. like it's, it sounds sometimes like, uh, the whole like lean in movement for women where there's a broad conversation about why, why women even need to like lean in. Um, and it's not all yeah. on the woman to need to do that. And I feel the same with, with this world. It's not just nonprofits, it's funders, it's the whole system, um, And the other thing, the other kind of disclaimer here is that, um, you know, all of my observations are really from the outside. Like I haven't worked directly at a nonprofit. Um, so, so, um, I feel like I've observations to offer, but, um, for anybody listening, just know that, um, you know, know that, that, that I come from a certain perspective. Um, I would say that, you know, what, what is a scarcity mindset? What is an abundance mindset and an abundance mindset is like coming from a place where, um, you have more options. You have more choices. More resources. There's plenty of resources to go around for everyone, um, as opposed to feeling like there's not enough. Um, and I feel like there are like kind of three, from a mindset perspective. Um, if we're just kind of talking broadly, there are like three ways that I uh, like like think that an abundance mindset can show up at a at a nonprofit organization. I think the first is is realizing and feeling like you can create win win situations. Um, like for example, with your fundraising, and and it actually goes back to what we were just talking about. Instead of having this idea of like convincing donors or like kind of being on this kind of imbalanced power dynamic with donors, reframing that to see that you're actually creating a win win for them, you're actually solving a problem for them. They're not going to be the ones, you know, in the field actually solving the problem. You're actually um, enabling them to be able to do that. This also shows up in the for-profit world too. A lot of startups get started. And the first thing that they ask is like, how do I go out there and like convince investors that we're like the next big thing? Um, but in reality, you want to make sure that your organization is um, has a proven model that you've been able to like actually prove that model so such that it's almost like a no-brainer for that investor or for that donor to actually um, invest in you or to, to, to donate to you. I'd say the second uh, thing that, I, that it comes up is... Um, really focusing on your strengths focusing on your superpowers as opposed to um, your weaknesses or everything um, so really like concentrating your efforts I and mean, I see that a lot in the nonprofit space there's this great desire to like have so much impact and then that's in tension with um, this this the the reality that when you're getting started you have to be able to kind of focus and get to a place where you can prove a model of sustainability and um and, and just like, feel, just like understanding that you can't do everything. So you want to focus on the things that you can do uniquely well. And that also that, um, that you can show uh, success on quickly so that you can like build a positive flywheel. Um, so that such that you can like raise more funds and then invest in your, in your organization so that, so that you can build better programs so that you can raise more funds, et cetera. Um, and then the third, I would say is um, this is really, this is pretty broad. There's a, um, a value at Instrumental that we talk about that's common in the in the Bay Area is this idea of being kind of like relentlessly resourceful. Um, this is certainly true with the nonprofits, like certainly also with startups, this idea of like trying to do more with less comes up. And I try to reframe that um, to working smarter and not harder, um, being able to like look for opportunities, um, being resourceful and just basically believing in your ability to like kind of reframe any problem and solve it.
1: Those are really great. And coming from, uh, someone who worked in a nonprofit for three decades, I I totally agree with your, those three points. It's not just about who has the most, the biggest budget. It's about how you are being the smartest with what you have. Um, I love that flywheel because that is, you know, testing small, showing proof, you know, and I think the, um, I loved your second point too, that, focus is really, there's a lot of power in focus because it frees up time and energy around things that aren't going to have as big of an impact. Um, but I can testify it's very hard to do, but when you do it, it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it allows people to to not necessarily say, no, I'm not going to do that, but to, to lower it on their priority list and really focus on the things that are going to have a bigger impact. And then I think, um, what was your third point was about, um,
2: Being resourceful generally, having
1: kind of a, yeah. I think that's really important because there's a lot of opportunity uh, to be resourceful in the way you collaborate across departments, Um, making sure that you're not in silos. So if you do have a potential project or an idea or a hypothesis you want to test, maybe you engage collaborators from other departments, um, which could mean either time or even budget, that will allow you to get something to the point where you're testing it and proving it out. Um, you have to be resourceful. I think that, I think those are all great. That's yeah. Really- even
2: maybe even outside the organization, there yeah. could be opportunities to like, <laughs> yeah, amplify what you're trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not always just about who has the biggest b- budget has abundance. It's using what you have in the most abundant way, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. what's the mindset of scarcity?
2: Yeah, I think mindset of scarcity, um, is like the inverse where, um, And and the way that I think it shows up often at at a nonprofit organization is it really kind of starts from the beginning. Um, And then I think abundance also can similarly start from the beginning. Um, But if you kind of come, if you, I think it really ends up coming down to like not having that focus in the beginning to define what your, um, how to have a sustainable like model uh, both from a organizational standpoint in terms of delivering your programs and your, and your, with your fundraising strategy, but also from a talent perspective, like from the beginning, um, if you are expecting uh, your talent, if you're thinking of your talent as expendable, if you're not kind of realizing the the value that you have there, um, if you're um, not realizing that you know, at some point you're going to have to have a model of like sustainable compensation for people to want to stay at your organization. Um, mm-hmm. That then continues to cascade, uh, so like for example, one thing that I have observed is that when an organization when a person like is like looking at a new software tool if if at the organization everyone is like underpaid and everyone has been hearing from the top that they have like no money, then of course, when they're sitting in front trying to evaluate a tool, they know how much they're paid, they yeah. know how much like their colleagues are paid, so there's no way that they can really justify. This tool because they they're like they felt the pain themselves. It's almost like a um, a cognitive dissonance, right? Uh, that the organization has created. So the whole organization, each of the individuals, they're going to be continuing to make decisions where they can't really invest uh, for the future. They have to be thinking short term, um, uh, which I find it just ends up kind of cycling, and it's it's hard to stop that in the middle. But I do believe you can do that if you recognize that as a leader,
1: right? Well, I think leadership, that's a good point that leadership plays such a huge role in this. Number one, and exactly what you're saying are you creating an environment where you can, you know, strive to be more abundant, where that's acceptable and, and encouraged. But how do you think leadership could identify or either find or cultivate talent to think more abundantly and less scarce? What other things could they do as leaders to, you know, kind of foster that type of? employee uh, development?
2: Yeah, I think it it, it really um, comes down to kind of focusing on sustainability from the beginning. Um, so like from the beginning, like when you're thinking about the level of talent that you're going to have, the level of compensation that they're going to need to have, the level of training that you're going to want to invest in them. Like if you can't do that from day one, I think that's okay. That's like the reality of like starting getting something off the ground. Um, but you have to then be trying to model out the fastest way for you to get to that sustainable place where you can have that positive flywheel um, it, so i think that so i think that it needs to be like baked in to the way that you're designing the organization as a whole from ideally from the beginning or if not then it needs to kind of be baked in at a later point and would probably cause a lot of changes um to yeah. how the organization is is functioning
1: that's i think a particular pain point probably for a lot of listeners we have today is that they come from legacy organizations that have been around for a long time. So it is really hard to make that kind of a pivot, uh, you know, 50 years in 60. Yeah. Years in. <laughs> I think yeah. in that way you have to recruit the right board, obviously have the right leadership and really hold each other accountable to, you know, changing the way you make decisions, changing the way you focus. Um, and really looking at all levels of the organization, like you said, compensation to, you know, the way the employees value, how they feel their value. That's a, that's a big, big change. Yeah. <laughs> Some Organizations.
2: Yeah. And also like, you know, how much does the organization leadership care, care about people growing? Um, that's like a, I feel like a, a very um inherent human desire. And I think. Uh, folks can kind of table that for a little bit you know because if they really care about a mission like they're gonna they're gonna want to you know they they're they're willing to like sacrifice things like like uh you know potentially compensation other things um like their own growth but I, i think that is not sustainable for that person and eventually that person will get burnt out
1: yeah i just saw an article today uh around this whole concept of great resignation but specific to nonprofits and uh having people who care about your mission is not enough anymore. They have to really feel that they are cared about as an individual and that um, the value, what they bring to the, to their role and to the organization is valued, you know, um, yeah. as part of the total delivery of the mission, which is a hard thing also to do.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I think many nonprofits already do it very, very well, but I think everyone can really take a close look in the mirror. Are we doing enough? To keep the right talent, to train the right talent, and then if needed, to find the right talent in an environment where they want to stay. That's not an easy thing
2: to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, all of this is all easier said than done. That's right. That's, 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 that's it's, it's hard.
1: Well, we like to try to give um, our listeners some real tangible things to walk away from. So if you could just give a couple action items, what do you think? you know, our listeners could do today if they really wanted to up-level their, um, you know, their workforce?
2: Yeah, I would say that um, the first thing I would say is is to um, kind of really um, understand and maybe even like map out the cost of losing good talent um, and to kind of um, really, you uh, understand um, intuitively like like what you have to gain by having your talent stay and like be happy and and continue to grow at your organization um, I would say um, you know in terms of like up leveling talent um, you know think about ways that like in 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 your teams like day-to-day uh, day to-day are there tools or systems um, that can be implemented that make their day a little bit less um, manual a little less painful Um, so that they can actually focus on, um, you know, the core part of the job, their job responsibilities, are there like things that can be automated that may not, they may not be that you don't actually want them to be spending, you know, 50% of their time doing because, you know, you could, they can be leveraging their brains for other things. Um, and then I would say, um, uh, I guess, just like broadly, um, kind of like looking, look for resources to kind of coach your team um, that may not come even from internally at the organization, um, something that we do and my company is that uh, we have a small organization right now. So there's almost like limited kind of learning opportunities from the team, like from within the team. Um, and so uh, we try to pair folks with um, folks that might be able to support their careers and growth and learning uh, for themselves individually and, and also have them be able to bring that back to the organization with external kind of like mentors or um, coaches mm-hmm. that can work with them.
1: That's good. I think another one too is... Um... You kind of touched on this, but really understanding what your long-term strategy is, in particular for fundraising, uh, what your plan is. Are you trying to stand up a new revenue stream? Are you trying to, you know, build something existing? And then really identifying, you know, without putting names in it, like what's the talent that you need to be successful in that revenue stream? And then either implementing or outlining a true plan for training and development or identifying what type of skills we need to bring into the organization new, but it needs to be tied back to what your plans are. can't just be, oh, here's somebody who cares about our mission. Let's hire them. I mean, there is something to be said about having people that are hungry and, you know, have a lot of grit. But I think really being more methodical about what you're hoping, what you're trying to accomplish, what your future looks like in terms of fundraising, and then how do you cultivate or attract the right talent, you know, for that strategy itself.
2: Totally. And i found that sometimes it can be helpful to not, don't start with like the existing names of the people on your team. Just actually just give them like the titles, right? Like don't start with what you have, start with like the ideal state and then figure out from there, once you have that mapped out, like what potential changes you'll need to make.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the easiest way to paint the picture. It's, that's hard to do in reality, but I mean, that is necessary. Uh, to really understand, you know, where your current talent is and, you know, how much they need to grow or how you can find new. Um, I I agree with that. That's a, that's a really good point. I think that's a smart thing to do. Um, What about those? We probably have some listeners who might be considering a career change or know someone who's looking for a career change. What do you think um, is, in terms of what nonprofits are looking to grow, what's the best way to present yourself if you're looking for new opportunities? What do you think you need to focus on to show that you are available and open to, you know, the future of fundraising, not just what we used to do? Yeah,
2: do I mean? think th- totally. I think the um there's like one thing that you can do that I think you'll set that will set you far apart from everybody else, and it's to actually demonstrate value to your the, the job the, you know the, the company that you're excited about or the organization that you're excited about as quickly as possible for example, if you're applying for a development role um can you actually find five opportunities or five funders for that organization that if you were in that role you would actually think would be a great ah, fit and write so. out you know how you'd get in touch uh what do you have to what are your kind of unique abilities to like break into new organizations and like and like what would you actually do to approach them? Or, you know, you can like see the organization's programs on their website. Um, What are like five things that you would do to, uh, what are five ideas that you have to potentially increase the impact of those programs, or maybe suggest a few ways to evaluate the impact of those programs? Um, So um, like actually being able to demonstrate value on that first interview or that first cover letter, um, as opposed to having it be hypothetical, like, oh, I can do this because I've done this in the past. Just show them what you have to offer. That's
1: a great that's really good. <laughs> and we had, we had a um, an intern apply once and um, he made a video and he told which showed number one his abilities using technology because it was you know pretty high level. Um, I don't know, just the way he produced it was really good. He used a lot of visuals in it, graphics and stuff. So it already it was almost like he was showing uh, his capabilities, you know before he even talked to anyone. Um, and it awesome. was just really a different way of presenting his talents, but I love that. If you went to an organization and told them already five foundations or five major donors or f- five people to recruit to an event, right. Powerful.
2: Yeah. Then you're kind of like a no brainer. Then, then that person is, you've like reduced the friction of that hiring manager to understand your value. Yeah. That's a great idea. Great.
1: All right. Well, I know you wanted to share with the listeners a uh, a special code you have. I think you called it. Tell us what you wanted to share about Instrumental.
2: Yeah. So we have a a 14 day free trial. Um, So if you're at all interested in in grants or um, kind of accelerating that process, you can check us out totally for free. You don't even have to put a credit card in. Um, you know, on the worst case scenario, will leave with a couple of grant opportunities and funders to pursue. Best case scenario, you'll realize how this can save you a ton of time um, and overall accelerate your process. Um, you can go to www.instrumental.com forward slash R forward slash NP innovators. Uh, and I can send that link to you. Um, and instrumental is spelled instrument and then the letter L.com. And then if you do go through that 14-day trial and you decide it's a fit for you, um, we have a a coupon code that you can use to get $50 off your monthly or annual subscription. It's Good United 50. And um, if you're not ready to go after grants, uh, if you go to our blog, instrumental.com forward slash blog, we have tons of free resources, webinars uh, that we host on almost like a weekly basis at at this point, where we're just trying to make the best uh, in class information about institutional fundraising totally for free um, and, and put it out there.
1: That's great. I hope a lot of people take advantage of that. Well, thank you yeah. so much for joining us, Gari. It's been, I love the perspective of you coming from a technology to a nonprofit. Um, fresh ideas and and thank you for sharing your observations from all your work with nonprofits. We really appreciate your time today.
0: This has been Nonprofit Innovators. Podcast from Good United on a mission to democratize the nonprofit supporter experience. Check out our blog, chock full of ideas like these and others for the future of fundraising at goodunited.io. My name is Mark Cross, sales director here at Good United. You can follow me or our host, Maria Clark, on LinkedIn. Thanks for checking us out.